So, <clears throat> to give a little review of the foundations. So, in some ways, we are moving from um, the gross to the subtle in the journey of the foundations, from the outer to the inner, from the particular to the generic. So in the beginning we started with mindfulness of first foundation, mindfulness of body, breath, body, sensations, etc. Physical activities, moving, the postures, the four postures. And the second foundation was mindfulness of feeling tone, so this quality of pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. Every aspect of our experience has that quality, that tone. And the third foundation, mindfulness of mind states, mind or emotions or whatever those translations are. (laughs) Just kidding. I'll teach me to ask a question. (laughs) I didn't mean it like that. (laughs) Teacher review. (laughs) So you can see we're going from the outer to the inner in some ways. And the fourth foundation one framework to hold this is is the the first three foundations they're they're more probing we're going into the the detail and the sensory nature of our body, the inner workings of experience and this pleasant unpleasantness, the subtleties of our mind state and the heart and um the fourth foundation we're exploring, uh, you could say, some of the bigger influences on our, on, our, on our being and the supports for awakening. So we take the ground of this very systematic practice of mindfulness through body, feeling, emotion, mind states, right? We get really familiar with this in a territory. And then in the fourth foundation, we start to, in some ways, pay attention to the bigger picture of how we use or bring or translate that mindful awareness into the path (coughs) of awakening, even though the mindfulness of those first three foundations is a path of awakening in itself. The fourth foundation is, one way of looking at it is like the supports for awakening, the obstacles to awakening, some of the ways that we can dive more deeply into the nature of reality, the nature of happiness and suffering, and freedom from suffering. So as I mentioned earlier, the, the, the initial obstacles or hindrances which we've explored in many different ways um, already 
to pay attention to how these uh, unwholesome mind states affect our mind and body and our heart and can take us away from the path of presence, kindness, clarity. Like when you're lost in a moment of doubt and you don't know what you're doing here and you're hating the meditation and doubting what this whole thing is about. It's hard to be clear in that moment. We're caught, we're consumed in self-doubt. When we're lost, when we're fixated on some passionate desire, some longing, right? in that moment we become consumed, right? There's not a, lot, not a lot of room for clarity when we're fixated on whatever it is that we think we need in that moment. Or when we're caught up in a state of fear or anxiety or hatred or jealousy. Much harder to bring balance and clarity to the heart and mind when we're consumed in that. So we want to pay attention to these forces that, that obscure the heart, the heart's natural openness and clarity. When we're super caffeinated and agitated and anxious and restless, jumping out of our skin, hard to be clear, hard to know what's going on if we can barely sit in our own skin. Or if we're just asleep, slothful, dull. You know, that picture of the sloth, you know, on the tree, 23 hours a day, you know, can't be bothered to eat. Sometimes we feel like that. You know, after work or on the meditation cushion because we don't want to be present because it takes, it takes a certain effort to move through inertia sometimes. So people have been talking a lot in this last few, last, last few days of the retreat about in the, in the beginning of retreat often you, what you encounter is a lot of sloth and tiredness and and there's just no, there's just no energy, no clarity to pay attention to anything. You just kind of walk. In, there's a kind of a haze or a dullness that we often happens when we let go of all our busyness and doing and stop. And what do we feel? We we kind of crash, like in the evening or at the weekend. So the Buddha says, get to know these states of mind. Know when they're present. When, when, when we know we're caught in a moment of longing or hatred, we're not so embroiled in it. That's the doorway to liberation right there, is the knowing of it. The knowing frees us from, ba- from the being bound in it. It may not make the state go away, but we're not so gripped in it. So we talked a fair bit about this. I don't need to go into this too much, but I just wanted to lay that overview out. The, the main thing I want to talk about tonight is this teaching on the seven factors of awakening. The seven wholesome qualities, essential qualities the Buddha talked about for, for this journey, of this, this path of liberation. So we're working with the, the, ob- the obstacles that get in the way and we're working with calling forth and getting to know and bring out these qualities of awakening, these qualities that are present in an awakened mind. 
And the central quality is the quality of mindfulness, which we've talked a lot about already. Mindfulness is, is, a, is the balancing of many, um, unlike the simplicity of attention, mindfulness has, a, um, has many layers of functioning. And one of the things it does is it brings balance to the mind and the heart. And it balances these qualities. So in, in these qualities, there's energizing qualities and there's calming qualities. And so the first of the energizing qualities is the quality of effort or energy. That we need a certain amount of energy, effort, to be awake, to show up, to practice, to be kind, to be generous, to know ourselves, to come to Spirit Rock on a dark, cold Monday, Tuesday night. It takes a certain effort to get yourself out of your warm, cozy bed in the morning and sit your backside on the cushion for 20 minutes. You know, or 30 minutes or 5 minutes or whatever you do. You know. It takes effort to let go of the habits of mind, of self-judgment, of thinking, of fantasy. Yeah. And just like if you try to practice when you're ill, when you've got a cold or you've got flu, you will realize how much effort it takes to practice. It's really hard to practice. It feels like, oh, I, don't, I just don't have the energy. Doesn't seem like it needs much energy just sitting there, <laughs> breathing. <laughs> but actually, it requires a you know, presence, awareness, consciousness requires a lot of energy. You know, I think about the Buddha in his journey to awakening. You know, he wasn't a slacker. You know, he was very ardent. <laughs> he was passionate. He was committed. He had a lot of zeal. He had a lot of urgency. Yeah. And he studied with all his teachers. He did these, these intense ascetic practices. And in the, the, the journey in his awakening, it was a very arduous time battling with these, these destructive forces of the mind and the heart. And he sat there resolute, took a lot of effort, determination. Just like the folks sitting these month, two-month retreats. You know, it takes a lot of effort to show up every day and just keep dealing with a crazy mind <laughs> and the tired body and whatever manifestation is coming that day. You know, sadness, joy, boredom. So with this energy, this, this, this effort arouses another essential quality on the path. I've heard somewhere the Buddha said this is the most important of the factors of awakening, the factor of investigation, factor of inquiry. And this isn't so much, when we hear that word, normally we think, oh, it sounds like thinking a lot about stuff. You know, going, you know, going online to Wikipedia and, you know, finding, <laughs> Googling enlightenment, you know, and <laughs> I'll investigate what that is, you know. <laughs> and I'll tweet all my friends, oh, I found out what it is. <laughs> Except it's more than 140 characters, so it's kind of hard to do that. <laughs> so investigation is really, I'd like to think of it as a curiosity. It's a passionate wanting to know the truth, wanting to know what is, wanting to know oneself, wanting to know 
reality, wanting to know what it is, what's this mystery we're living in? To be in a body, have this mind, whatever this mind is, have this heart, whatever the heart is. To be born, to die, to know that we're going to die. To, to make meaning of this life requires curiosity. We investigate our experience. We become scientists of our own being, our mind, our hearts. You know, we're like archaeologists digging through our body, you know, through our emotions, through our mind states. There's a koan practice in one of the Korean Zen traditions. And the uh, koan, which are like mm-hmm. questions, deep questions. And the koan is, is to ask the question, what is this? What is this? What is this? So you sit and you ask that question, what is this? What is this breath? Is there a breath? Is there such a thing as breath? There's actually no such thing as a breath. There's just a movement of air, a movement of the body. Where is the breath? Can the breath be found? Like, here's my breath, or it's a good one today. No, there's no such thing as a breath. It's just this movement of organic life. What is this consciousness? What is this thing that knows when you hear a sound, consciousness knows? What is that? Who's doing the knowing? Who is in there, (laughs) thinking or not thinking? What is this I, this me, that I hold so dearly and preciously? I spend my whole life thinking about, planning, trying to make it better and create a better life for it. Who is this I that I'm working so hard for? It's like I don't get any overtime payment, you know. Who's pulling the strings? Am I pulling the strings? Or is there some I? Like, What's that relationship? So, you know, in the, in the teaching, these spiritual teachings, there's many, many things to explore, to look at. You know, and we're presenting an array of teachings here, and we're just sort of touching the surface. You could spend 20 years exploring mindfulness of the body, investigating what is this body? What is this sensation? What is energy? What does it mean to walk on this earth with presence? Like when you see Thich Nhat Hanh, the great Vietnamese teacher, walk like a Buddha. What is it to walk like that? So to investigate doesn't mean to think about and analyze like we normally think of analyzing, intellectualizing, rationalizing. It's often in meditation with mindfulness, it's more of a felt sense inquiry. And it's particularly true with our bodily experience. You might be sitting, you sit down, and some cloud comes over you, some amorphous storm or feeling. It's like, what is this? What is this? Hmm. Don't know. I have to feel into it. My body feels heavy, and heart feels closed, and belly's tight. Hmm. And we feel into that. It feels like sadness, or maybe some more heavy than sadness. And so it's a felt sense investigation. There's all these detective um, 
soaps now on TV. I'm noticing these, you know, forensic, you know, whatever they're called, all these. I don't watch any of them, but there's this curiosity about curiosity, you know, and it's an admiration, you know, of these detectives, you know. So we're detectives of the human experience, of our own reality. So there's our inner experience, and then there's what we call reality. What is reality? What is real? What is true in this world? What can I know for certain through my own experience, phenomenologically, empirically, scientifically? And there's many, there's innumerable mysterious things. I just watched that film, I was overhearing someone saying, I watched the film I Am. Really interesting. For anybody see the film I Am? No. It's playing in San Rafael. Highly recommend it. It's only going to be there for a few more days if it's still there. It's about the hum- about consciousness and, and what it means to be human and the mess we're in and the way out. It's very beautiful, powerful. And um, he was talking about various things in, you know, that in science is now you know, coming to prove a lot of the things that various religions have been saying for millennia, you know, like we're all connected. <laughs> we affect each other. Duh. <laughs> yeah, we are one in many different ways. So there was some fun, you know. I forget the theory that there's some theory that Einstein was was curious about. Where if you take two molecules, that was say in a, in a cell, and you separate them around the world. They will still act. If you do one, if you do, if you if you put a, one of the molecules under certain conditions, the, the other molecule in Australia will react in the same way as if they were together in the same room. The same thing with DNA. We take a strand of our own DNA, and put it in Kansas, and we watch a horror movie. That DNA will respond as if it's watching a horror movie in Kansas. Not that Kansas is a horror movie, but if you're watching it, <laughs> just want to be clear. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. Um, so this quality of curiosity. Curiosity, I think, is a better word because it, it, it's less mental for us. Investigation, there's a tendency to think, oh, it's me thinking about my experience. But just to be curious... You know, the Buddha was curious about what is the cause of suffering. If you're suffering, get curious, investigate what's going on. Why is this suffering? Right now in this moment, are you suffering? Maybe some of you are. Maybe this talk is torturous. Okay, <laughs> it's so great suffering. For what you know, so what? So what? What's happening when you're suffering? You know, the Buddha said, if we're suffering, the cause of suffering is attachment, is grasping, is aversion, right? clinging to self. Very simple. So you investigate. You know, when we, we wake up in the morning, we feel, you know, contracted. Okay, well, take a look. What's going on? Wh- what's the cause of suffering here? If I understand the cause of suffering, I have some chance of liberating it. Investigation. Some way supports the the, the next the next energizing quality of joy. Pity, rapture. 
Aren't you happy this is in the list, joy? One of the seven factors of awakening, the seven qualities of an awakened being. You know, these guys, aren't, they're not somber. They're not all morose and dour, you know, and spiritual, you know. No, there's joy, there's delight, there's, there's happiness, there's a radiance, there's, you know. We, we unburden, in this, in this practice, we unburden ourselves, we enlighten ourselves, we lighten the load of the burden of pain, of suffering that we carry. And as we unburden ourselves from our habitual, constricted, egoic, contracted, self-referential patterns, there's more ease, there's more space, there's more freedom, there's lightness, there's joy, there's well-being. And so it's important to pay attention to this quality. If there's no joy in our practice, in our lives, we want to take a look. What's to be, be curious what's going on if there's no joy, if it's just grim, dour, hardship. You know? Not to judge that, but just be curious. Huh? What's, you know, life is a balance of joy and sorrow. You know? And we need both. We need a certain lightness of mind to investigate some of the things that we do on the spiritual path, because the spiritual path isn't easy, as you know. We look at ourselves and we look at our challenges and our stuff. Yeah, so we, it's essential that we also bring balance. You know, so much of practice is about balance. We bring balance by we bring balance to the suffering and the pain in the world. There's a great line from Alice Walker from The Color Purple. She writes, "I think it pisses God off when you walk past." a meadow full of purple flowers and don't even notice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is, I read this line, this other line from some famous quote about how our, our, um, our, the, 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 to dishonor joy in a way dishonors the suffering of the world. Mm-hmm. To honor the joy is not to say, it's not, we're not ignoring the suffering of the world, but it's almost like it gives it some meaning in some way. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we feel guilty for feeling joy because there's so much suffering and pain in the world. But that doesn't help anybody to diminish our own happiness, diminish every, is it diminishing, diminishing everybody else's happiness. So these are the three energizing qualities. And then there's the three calming factors of mind. The first one is tranquility, calm. Ah, calm. The calm is such a beautiful word because it really suggestive of the feeling. <coughs> calm. Mm-hmm. Try saying calm from an agitated place. It does it. <laughs> calm. It just you know sometimes words really speak to the quality. Tranquility. Mm. Tranquil. Hmm. I'm, you know, it's interesting that, that one of my favorite lines of the Buddha, what, what we frequently ponder and think about, that the mind becomes, that the heart becomes. So as we turn our attention to a quality, in this case, calm, tranquility, it's almost like we call it forth. We bring it to the foreground. Just like if we reflect on joy, it brings it to the foreground. We reflect on all the things that are wrong with me, 
It brings it to the foreground. If we reflect on our deficiencies, it brings them to the foreground. That which we frequently reflect and ponder upon, that the mind and the heart becomes. So part of the way of working with these qualities is we turn our attention to them. And the turning attention to them calls them forth to some degree. Not automatically, it's not reductionist in that way, but it's... You know, so like right now, if you pay attention to the quality of calm, is there a quality of calm in your experience or in the room? Perhaps you feel some calm in the body. There's a certain stillness here at Spirit Rock. There's a certain calmness of the land. There's a calmness of the evening. Stillness of the body. The silence. And a lot of these things are quite available when we turn our attention to them, but it does require we turn our attention. This quality is a, is a very important meditation quality, meditative quality, because as you know, it's very hard to develop any depth of mind, any depth of presence, of awareness, without calm. And if, if we're like, you know, had three cups of coffee and regretting something and anxious about the meeting coming up and, you know, we're not going to be calm, we're not going to be settled, we're not going to be very spacious and balanced and open. Right? Our mind's not going to be clear, we're not going to see clearly. So a lot of meditation practice is, a, is calming, coming back to the breath, coming back to the moment, coming back to a single point, returning from the wandering, distracting, restless discursivity of mind. Our lives are often very unsupportive of calm. Our lifestyle, the pace, technology, commuting, uh, multitasking. So to look at what things in your life support calm, you know, does checking your email at 11 o'clock at night support calm? No. How many of us do it? Probably most of us. <laughs> Even when we know if we shouldn't be doing it, we still do it. You know, or six in the morning, do you check your check the stock market? <gasps> oh no, it spiked. You know, before you meditate in the morning, great. <laughs> okay. But some of us do it. Or you know, talking on your cell phone while driving and trying to eat your pizza. You know. Does it support calm? No, it doesn't. It supports disintegration. Or talking on the phone while checking your email. You know, everybody loses. You know, the person on the phone picks it up that you're not really there. So this, you know, what supports calm? Being in nature, slowing down, taking pauses, feeling your body, feeling the earth, being in nature. I said that. Well, being in nature. <laughs> So calm is one of the, 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 the tranquilizing qualities. The next quality is concentration. And again, calm is a support for concentration. As the mind and the attention is calm, we get more clear. It's easier for the mind to concentrate. It's easier for the attention to be one-pointed. And again, we develop this a lot through our meditation practice coming back, returning one point 
again and again and again. You know, we have a very restless, scattered, discursive mind. It requires training. I don't know anybody whose mind doesn't require training to be one-pointed. The concentration allows a certain clarity, allows a certain continuity of attention, allows a certain depth as we, as we develop depth of concentration in meditation, it allows a certain deepening and opening to various quite sublime states of consciousness. <coughs> it's almost like a cleansing for the mind when we explore the deeper realms of meditation and concentration. The Buddha did a lot of concentration practice before he did developed his mindfulness practice and insight practice. He did years of concentration, very deep concentration practice. It's an essential support for insight. Because again, just like with calm, when we get concentrated, it clarifies the mind. And most of the time, we'll, if you think of a jar, with mud and water, most of the time it's shaken up. Right? It's muddy, unclear. When we, when we put the jaw down over time, like in meditation concentration, the, the silt sinks and then the clear water is clear again. And lastly, the last calming factor is equanimity. It's capacity of non-reactivity, of being with balance with whatever's arising in our experience. And mindfulness is an essential support for equanimity. We're developing, mind, we're developing equanimity throughout the time we're developing mindfulness. Each time you sit with difficult emotion, with reactivity, with pain, with something you don't want to be with, and you're embracing it with kind presence, not reacting to it, you're developing equanimity. And that practice serves us in whatever we do. So there's these seven qualities, and I'm just touching on them. Um, The central qualities in our journey, they're like Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. I don't know if that's a good analogy, but... They're... um, something to pay attention to and you can you can throughout the day you can call you turn your attention to these qualities and just ask you know what's what's the presence or absence of these qualities how do these these qualities support my life my being my my capacity for presence in this moment you can reflect on them in meditation not reflect as and think about them but you can just just see as or maybe at the end of a meditation you can see whether any of the qualities there Calm, concentration, equanimity, joy, mindfulness. And we use those qualities to explore uh, the teachings. So the two other, I'll just briefly name these two other lists that are in this teaching. The first is the teaching on the five aggregates. The five skandhas, they're called, and five, basically the five composites that make up this mind-body. There's the body. There's feeling, feeling tone, perceptions, mental 
activities and consciousness. So basically, it's, an, it's a way of understanding what makes up the sense of self. So when we say me, what is that me comprised of? It's a physical body, there's feelings, there's perceptions, there's mental processes, and there's consciousness. And so we can begin to sort of see that this thing called me is not such a solid lump that's here somewhere or here somewhere, but it's actually just this changing, fluctuating mass of thoughts and feelings and sensations and perceptions and memories, and that's all is coming and going. And then we make this, we solidify it into this thing called, it's me. This is who I am. But if we pay attention, we see, we start to see, just as someone was telling me today, that in the meditation there's just this flood of thoughts, feelings, sensations, perceptions, sounds. That's our experience moment to moment when we slow it down. And then lastly, the instruction was to, um, to use these qualities to pay attention to the Four Noble Truths, which we've talked a lot about. Understanding with clarity, with concentration, suffering, how it arises, its cause, how it's released, and how we walk the path leading to its release. So this is a lot of information. And if you're feeling like, oh my God, oh. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> Just notice overwhelm, overwhelm, <laughs> flooded, flooded, boredom, boredom. <laughs> Shut up already. And um, you know, take some time to read. There's, there's there's plenty of literature about this teaching. You know, or you can just you know, in the homework tonight, I've focused on more paying attention to. Uh, the hindrances, because they're really the most accessible part of this teaching, and that's something that we all are familiar with, and also working with thoughts. There's some little homework about thought, since we haven't given so much specific homework about that. Or to pay attention to the, the seven factors of awakening. You know, just write out a list, stick them on your desk or your bathroom mirror, and just, you know, just call them to mind, you know. Maybe you take a quality a day and go, okay, today I'm just going to call forth calm. And do whatever supports calm today. Or this week. What a radical thing. And the Buddha said these, these, these are seven qualities essential for awakening. Okay? Better pay attention. <laughs> you seem to know what he was talking about. Okay. Develop equanimity. Okay. I'm reactive as hell. I hate everything. Okay. Good. Start to know where I am. I hate that I have to look at equanimity. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to be equanimous. I like being volatile. And, okay? So look at that. So, um, you know, as, as I think I said at the beginning of the course, you know, we're laying out this platter of Buddhist teaching, and, you know, you could go away, you know, and study and just practice with these for the next 10 years. The Four Foundations of Mindfulness, the Four Noble Truths, Metta Practice, Loving Kindness. That's plenty. <laughs> really, that's really all you need. You know, we're in the, the retreat up, in the, in the, up, up the hill this month, we're, we're, we're mostly focusing on the seven factors of awakening and the Brahma Viharas, love, compassion, equanimity, appreciative joy, 
and a couple of other qualities, wisdom and faith from another, another teaching. So whether you're doing in this class, whether it's a month retreat, whether it's you're on retreat for three years or the rest of your life, these, these teachings, these qualities are both very simple, very accessible, very durable, and very deep. You know, if we take the practice of equanimity or concentration or investigation, you know, there's no end to the probing of that, to, of, the, of the depth of that. That line from T.S. Eliot that I may have mentioned in the beginning. I think it's from the quartet. The we shall never cease from our exploration. We shall never cease from our exploration, and at the end of all of our exploring, will be to arrive exactly where we started and to know the place for the very first time. We shall never cease from our exploration. So that's really this path. Is it? It's it's a path of exploration into our experience into who we are, into the truth. And we get to see what's here, who we are. It's a really fun journey. Okay, questions about any of that? Do you want to... Yes, hand up 